It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. Looking at really the life of Samuel, his impact into the nation of Israel, and really looking at Israel's rejection of God governing them, demanding a king. And so God gave them Saul, a man after man's heart. And we find that when he originally came to the throne, you might say, He was very humble. Uh, He was hiding amongst the uh, farm implements, you might say, on his coronation day. But we rapidly see the deterioration of Saul in that as time began to reveal the real nature of this man. And so we find him making very irrational decisions. We see tremendous holes in his relationship with God. And so because of that, he begins to give commands and directs the nation of Israel in very, very anti, you might say, faith ways concerning the kingdom of heaven. And so we pick up the story in chapter 14, where we remember last week when we were together studying that Jonathan, his armor bearer, decided to go up and check out the Philistines. And they're talking with one another and they say, you know what? We can go up there, and, and, and if they say, wait right there, when we go up there, when the guards see us, then we'll wait. And if they say, you come up here, and we'll show you a thing or two, then we know that God's delivered him in our hand. So, so this is our fleece before the Lord. If they say, wait, and we'll come down to you, we know that we're not supposed to go. But if they say to us, come up here, and we'll show you, he said, then we know God's delivered him into our hand. Well, they get over to the camp of the Philistines. The, um, you might say, the watchmen see these two guys crawling up the rocks. Hey, who goes there? And they said, you come on up here. We'll show you a thing or two. And they, they looked at each other and said, hey, God's delivered them into our hand. And so they went up there. And the Bible tells us they made a great waste of the camp, you might say. They really went in and began to slaughter the Philistines. Well, pretty soon... The, 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 the battle spread and pretty soon the Philistines are hacking up each other. They, they didn't even know who they were fighting because it was in the middle of the night. And so in the confusion of it all, they began to just destroy themselves. Meanwhile, Saul, down the hill, uh, had called for the Ark of the Covenant to come in again as an implement of war when really it was just a, a place uh, in which God related to the people And just as beforehand, we remember that Eli allowed them to take the Ark of the Covenant before the Philistines before, and it didn't work. Saul, refusing to learn from history, brings the Ark of the Covenant into uh, the place of warfare again. Well, by simply Jonathan's faith in trusting God, him and his armor bearer, it's interesting that God delivered that day a great victory into the hand of Israel. And uh, Saul really didn't have really anything to do with it. 
Well, let's pray as we go into some new ground tonight. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We ask you now that you would kind of guide our thoughts and direct our, our hearts, Lord, into the things that pertain to your kingdom. Again, Lord, we thank you, and we praise you for all the things you do. Allow us to remember these things, how you've been faithful in the path. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we find here that verse 23 in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, so no one of the people tasted food. Literally, he was running his army on empty. He was starving his troops. Now, this gives you a good idea, maybe you might say, or a good insight of this man's understanding of warfare, um, relationship with people, and everything. I don't know that the old saying, an army moves on its stomach, was certainly something that Saul never recognized. He was very foolish in saying, well, if anybody eats of the food, they're cursed. Okay, well, this isn't anything that God implemented. This is something that man implemented. And when we really look at oftentimes the ordinances of man, we see how indeed, how foolish they really are. In other words, when you're going to go out to battle... You don't want to go out starving. You want to go out uh, refreshed and full of food and full of energy. Well, Saul, of course, uh, being a man that really didn't seek after the heart of God, was making more and more mistakes in his administration because he was not seeking God. And so it says here that now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the into the woods... There was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan, that's literally Saul's son, who had not heard his father's charge, uh, the people with, uh, with the oath, therefore he stretched out his hand, in, in, uh, out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, and put it in his mouth, and his countenance was brightened. In other words, he wasn't starving anymore, he got some sugar, he got some energy, and uh, refreshed himself. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how how my countenance has brightened because I've eaten a little of the honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they have found. For now we would have not only, uh, for now there would have been a much greater slaughter amongst the Philistines. He's saying, look, he said, if we would have went out there full of energy, we could have really whooped up on them. And he says, my father has greatly troubled Israel. It's interesting that uh, it was obvious that his judgments were not even recognized by his own family as being good, sound, uh, dis- uh, discretionary type of, of uh, direction concerning uh, even tactical warfare. So it says here that um, now when they had driven back the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Alijon, the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took the sheep and the oxen and the calves and slaughtered them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. 
Now, this is uh, forbidden according to Levitical law, that you had to drain the blood out of the animals before uh, you ate that. But you have to remember, the people, the army, was starving to death. And so they uh, reacted this way. Now, of course, we, we see something here. Whenever there is sin, there is a reaction. And uh, this is one of the reasons why God doesn't want us to sin. We have the initial thing that is done, whatever it is, but then there's repercussions in that, and that repercussion is what carries that part that hurts us as people. It isn't that God is, again, a cosmic killjoy that doesn't want to see his children have fun, but in the fun, oftentimes, without being guided by God, that fun can lead to destruction. And this is why a lot of times people find themselves getting all tangled up in problems. Again, we, we study in the New Testament. We look and see these different things that Paul and the other apostles wrote to, concerning behavior in the church and things. We understand that's the ideal. Now again, friends, we go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross. And just because I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, doesn't cause, or maybe I should say, doesn't stop us sometimes from doing sinful things, does it? But there's always a consequence in that sin sometimes. And sometimes, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, it would destroy us all. Uh, that's why I, I believe, again, we need to be very careful concerning the way we live our lives. Not that, again, we want to go out and sin, but the consequences are always greater than you can pay. This is what the Bible, I believe, talks about concerning uh, as an example, marriage and, and uh, uh, you know, having the real mom and the real dad. And anybody that's ever gone through a divorce, you know the pain and the sorrow that that, in, uh, that entails because you, you see the result of those kinds of behaviors. Uh, you see the reaction within the children's life. You see the, the hurt and the pain in your own life. And so this is why God has written these things down to preserve you because he loves you. Uh, and so God has given us his word to do this. Now, we go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross, not because we're married or divorced or remarried or single, but whether we were a Christian before or a Christian after, all that stuff happened, that is, that, that is under the blood of Christ. But there are consequences that we will pay if we reject the counsel of God. And, 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 and again, uh, uh, th- those are part of the, the, the reasons why, again, God doesn't want us to do these things because they carry, a, they carry a, a hook, you might say, in the bait, and Satan knows that. Now, uh, you can in- insert anything here. We, we realize that because God loves us, he, he uh, uh, protects us and keeps us and somebody would say, well, that really hurt what I did that. But you know what? If God hadn't intervened in your life with a little mercy, it would probably killed you. So, so always remember that God's grace is even there for you, even in the times that we mess up. The Bible says where sin abounds, that much more grace abounds. But that is, doesn't mean that we should go out and sin so we can experience the grace of God. What that means is that we need to be aware that in spite of us being what we are, God still continues to work in our lives. But remember, the consequences are pretty stiff for those kinds of things. Saul made a lot of really bad decisions, saying, Cursed is the person who eats anything before I avenge my enemies, you know, before the sun goes down. Well, so his army was running on empty. His son, who did not hear that command, saw some honey. He ate of it. His countenance was enlightened. People said, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. Your dad made an oath. And he goes, my father greatly troubles the land. And so when they finally came upon their enemy, their enemy was chased. The people grabbed a hold of the livestock, started slaughtering it, started eating it because they were, they were starving to death. And so it's interesting that because of Saul's mismanagement 
and misguidance that, that uh, the result of that was that now he's caused the people of Israel to sin because he starved them to death. Notice it says here, And they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to, stone to me this day. Now, it's interesting. Saul is a good example, I think, of a person that is in the world, in the flesh. I think that what you will see in the difference and contrast between Saul and David is we get into the life of David. You're going to see a big difference between the two men. Because Saul always was offering an excuse because of his behavior rather than repenting and, and taking the, the, the um, you might say, the consequences for what he had done. Notice he says, he said, they have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me. Actually, Saul is the one that was the problem. He's the one that did these things to the people. And so the large stone was going to be a place of an altar, you might say. And so it says here, Disperse yourselves among the people. Say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep, and slaughter them here and eat. Do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord, This was the first altar that he built uh, to the Lord. Now, again, we talked about this before, that um, that was really the job of the Levites. It was not uh, Saul's job. Uh, That was a a job that God had reserved for them. And that was part of their inheritance in when the children of Israel came into the promised land. So actually, he is operating as a priest, which he is not. And he's also robbing the Levites of their inheritance concerning the nation of Israel. So we find him in, in, uh, in continually more violations. Now, it's interesting here that he builds an altar. Now, somebody would have to look at this and realize that if he isn't really seeking God, and in fact, as we read on here a little bit, you're going to find out he really, his relationship with God was, was fairly scattered and splattered, you might say. He was nowhere with, with the Lord. And, and yet he's building an altar. And somebody would say, well, why is that? To look spiritual. You ever been around people that they have a pretense for Christianity? I've seen that before. You know, you'll find somebody laying into somebody and chewing them to pieces. And and all of a sudden they'll look at you and say, oh, let's just pray right now. Well, you know what? Why don't you start praying before you open your mouth, before you do a lot of damage? It's interesting. A lot of times people don't pray until they get caught. And here in this particular case, we find that Saul was building an altar to make everybody think that he was right on with God. When in reality, it was only a pretense to make somebody think he was something that he's not. You know, again, friends, I believe this is part of what spiritual discernment is. You know, this was a real problem. The Bible says, Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. And again, we all have a right as Christians to be fruit inspectors. We all have a right to go and, and examine what, what, what follows this person. Now, Jesus said, beware of, of wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, how do you know a wolf from a sheep? By what they eat and the tracks they leave. It's very clear to see the tracks that a, a sheep leave. It's a cloven, uh, it's a, it's a, a cloven hoofed animal. It, 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 it uh, you can, you can see very clearly. Uh, a, a wolf track is like a dog track. Very, very easy to distinguish. So by the tracks they leave and what they eat. Sheep eat grass. Wolves are meat eaters. And so Jesus said, by your fruits you shall know them. And so, again, look at the fruit and see what follows a person. 
You know, it's interesting that not only does it in this life, but David said it like this in, in the 23rd Psalms, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think that's interesting that your good works, what you do for the Lord, is clearly seen and it does follow you in what you do for him. So he tells us here that Saul is building an altar. Now again, for a pretense to make people think that he was spiritual. And so notice it says here that Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines uh, by night and plunder them until morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Now it's interesting that the priest said, Maybe we ought to inquire of the Lord here. I I think that's important because Saul was, again, ready, shoot, aim. Uh, He was was ahead of himself. And again, before you go into battle, uh, you need to consult God. And again, I think this is why daily prayer is a, a very important part of a Christian's diet, you might say, is because you want to get the battle plan from the Lord each day. And so he says... Let us draw near to God there. So Saul asked counsel of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not receive or get an answer. God did not answer him that day. Now, this is interesting because we have a couple of issues here. The first one is, is that Saul was inquiring of the Lord. It was really the priest's job. The second thing is we find here is that uh, he didn't answer him. And I think it's noteworthy that immediately Saul, instead of wondering, as we read on, he begins to try to divide Israel up to find out the reason why God did not answer him that day. Notice what it says. Saul said, come over here, all you chief people, and know and see what the sin was today. Now, this is a direct response because when God did not answer him, he believed that it was something that somebody else did. And then he said to all of Israel, you be the one on, uh, you be on one side and my son and Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And all the people said to Saul, do whatever seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give us a perfect lot. So Saul said, uh, so Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between the son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me, what have you done? And Jonathan told him, said, I've only tasted a little honey at the end of the rod uh, that was in my hat. So now I must die. And Saul answered, God, do so and more to me also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said, Saul, shall Jonathan die? who's accomplished this great salvation in Israel. In other words, you're saying he's a war hero, basically. Certainly not. And as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day, so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Now it's interesting here that the people have a whole lot more sense than the king does. And it's also noteworthy that the lot fell upon Jonathan, I think the lot fell upon Jonathan, not because Jonathan was guilty of anything, but rather that the the lot fell upon Jonathan to reveal how failed Saul's decisions and uh, logic was. 
His failed relationship with God. In other words, Saul wanted to blame everybody else because God didn't answer him, but it was really Saul was the problem. That's the way it usually is, friends. In an unrepented heart, that's what we learn from Adam and Eve. Why did you eat of the tree, Adam? Well, that woman you gave me. You know, it's either you or it's the woman. Now, you guys duke it out. Let me know what you figure out later. That woman you gave me. So he's blaming God for his sin, and he's also blaming the woman for his sin. Well, it's interesting. When she went, when God went to the woman, he, she said, well, it was a serpent. <laughs> but you find both man and woman both basically not owning up to what they do and shifting the blame to somebody else. This is the state of an unrepented heart. And this is one of the first things that has to go in a person's life if they're going to become a Christian. Because, again, uh, repentance is, is the key element in coming to Christ. It's, in other words... You, you, God cannot rebuild us unless we admit we're broken. And, and this is one of the first principles as an example in AA is until you admit you're an alcoholic, you can't get help. Well, until you admit you're a sinner, you can't be forgiven. But you'll find that people try to always justify themselves by saying things like, well, I'm not as bad as the guy that lives next door. Or, you know, and we always have an excuse why we're not as bad as somebody else. And, and friends, again, this is a, a tragedy that we see oftentimes happen in people's lives because, again, we're all guilty, and that's the bottom line. We're all guilty. We all do things wrong all the time. It's like one person accusing somebody of something when what they're accusing them of is so much worse. I, I think it's always amazing to me. And if, if you follow a lot of these guys and track a lot of these people that do this stuff... When you really nail them down, you find that there's an agenda behind what they're doing. Saul was a person who, again, could not own up to what he did. Puts a stupid thing upon the people, and then because his own son didn't hear him say it, because it was so ridiculous, nobody would ever think that way. Well, then, all of a sudden, now it's Jonathan's fault. So the people rescued Jonathan from the destruction that his own father had towards him. It's really amazing here because you look how a person blinded by their own pride can make such irrational decisions. Now, let's follow us. First of all, he, he, he doesn't seek God. So that's the first mistake he does. And actually, his son is the one that goes up in the camp of the Philistines with his armor bearer and brings a great victory. Then the second thing that we come down, as we studied last week, Saul begins to claim that he was the responsible for the victory. He didn't claim it. Well, anyway, as it goes down, then he puts his crazy oath upon the people, which was irrational. Then we find the people then begin to sin because they're starved to death and they begin to slaughter the animals and they eat them with blood. Then Saul builds an altar, which is, again, the priest's job. Then we find him wanting to kill his own son. And then we find the people having to come to Jonathan's rescue. And you see just this this uh, secession of, of just really bad decisions based upon a man who is filled with himself. So again, the people said to Saul, verse 45, we've already read it, says, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great salvation in Israel? Certainly not, as the Lord lives. Not one of his hair hair shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Notice it says, for he has worked with God this day. So while while, um, Saul is being accusatory, that this is the reason why God's not answered me. No, the people recognize Jonathan was working with God and Saul, it's you that don't know God. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. 
So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, Moab against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah and the king, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time. <laughs>